Well, good evening, everybody. How are we feeling this Sunday evening? Welcome to all of you in the room, all of you joining us online, our website, Facebook, YouTube. Listen, how many of you, because maybe of this um, earlier time or whatever, or maybe for some other reason, how many of you, this is your first time back in a public gathering of New Life Church? Raise your hand. Look at you guys. All right. Welcome then, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad. Look, if you're watching online, you're wondering if it's time to come back or you want to come back or not, there's no more reservations uh, needed, so you can just show up uh, every Sunday night. We're doing it at 5 o'clock now, so uh, there's a good chance that in about 20 minutes, more people will show up. I don't know, but uh, it's like that time change Sunday. We are going through a series in the book of James called Walk This Way, and tonight I want to talk to us from, from James chapter 4, and we're calling this tonight, the sermon tonight, Behavior, Desires, and the Grace of God. Behavior, Desires, and the Grace of God. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to James 4 or on your phone. You can uh, dial that up, scroll, scroll to that spot, and let's open with the word of prayer. So Almighty God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace toward us. We thank you for the way that you call to us. And tonight we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds to hear your voice, to respond to your grace, and that you would have your way in us, that we would be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. To your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Years ago, I had a friend who bought a 100-year-old house in downtown Colorado Springs. Any of you live in an old downtown house? Wave at me. If you're online, you could send up some red hearts or something like that on Facebook. And uh, he bought this 100-year-old house, and it's mostly because he thought that his idea of a good time was working on a house project every weekend. Uh, You can see it is a strange miracle that we're friends at all, really. and, uh, and one day he told me, he said one day he came home from work and uh, he walked into the dining room only to discover that the chandelier had fallen onto the dining table. Like it had crashed onto the dining table. He thought, oh no, we've got a problem. There's something going on with the, the ceiling beam or joist or something like that. Uh, you know, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> Josh, you're going to have to help me out. I'm looking over at Josh Peterson over there. Um, and, and he's, he's, he's you know, examining the problem. What's going on here? How did the chandelier crash on our dining table? And his wife was like freaking out. And she's like, honey, I'm just so grateful that we weren't all sitting there at dinner when this happened. And he's like, yeah, no kidding. Anyway, after investigating the situation, he discovered that the problem was not actually with his ceiling. The problem was not actually with a bad beam or something like that. The problem was the entire foundation of his house was slowly sinking. I, I mean, listen, this is when you realize, okay, maybe I could have handled it if there was one beam that was bad or something that had right, you could replace that. But I don't, have, I don't know a whole lot about construction, but I know that if you got problems in your foundation, you got some big problems. And so over the course of several weeks, and and what they ended up having to do was jack the house up and then backfill the foundation. I don't even know how you do that sort of thing, but that is a major project. And sometimes the problem is deeper than we imagine. Sometimes the problem is much deeper than we've realized. If you think about 2020, maybe 2020 is a little bit like living in the world and the sky is falling. (laughs) Like the sky has just fallen in. The chandelier of the heavens has fallen. 
and crashed into our dining table. And we're saying, oh, how do we repair this? How do we fix this? What's going on with our society, with our country? And maybe if we just did this, and maybe if we just did that. And tonight, the scripture says to us that actually, the problem is much deeper than you realize. The problem is not cosmetic. The problem is not on the surface. The problem is much deeper than that. You know, sometimes we talk to people or we're in a conversation with friends and someone will say, can you believe it's the year 2020 and, and then fill in the blank with whatever problem. But you know, what's interesting is a statement like that imagines that human beings can discover the solution to all of our problems. And a statement like that does not take into account the one constant in all of human history, the human heart. It doesn't take into account that no matter what year it is, there's still human beings in the world. There's still fallen human beings in the world. And so we have this kind of idea that, look, if we could just build the house better or fix a beam here or there, if we could do this, then we'll get at the crux of the problem. But if we think like that, we'll always be surprised when some new chandelier comes crashing down. Because there is one constant in all of the problems in every era of history, and the bad news is, it's us. <laughs> it's like that old uh, Dr. Phil line, the common denominator in all your problems is you. The common denominator in human history is the human being. James has talked to us about some of our destructive behavior in James 4, we'll get to it in a moment, but James 4 opens by asking this question, where do fights and quarrels and all of this strife, where does it come from? Well, if you think about it, so far in his letter, James has already let us in on some of the secret. He's listed several symptoms of our destructive behavior. He listed the symptom of favoring the powerful. He listed the symptom of our destructive words. We talked about the power of the tongue to set the world on fire. We talked about last week, Pastor Jason talked about the wisdom that is from this world versus the wisdom that's from the world to come. James has already helped us discover several symptoms. But here we are in the age of a pandemic. We all know there's a difference between the symptoms and the cause. You might have a cough, and it might be allergies, or it might be something more severe. James is pointing us to these symptoms, but he's already actually hinted at the root. Go back to James 1, actually. James 1, verse 14, James says, everyone is tempted by their own cravings. They're lured away and enticed by them. Once these cravings conceive, they give birth to sin. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. You're like, wow, that's pretty dark, James. Did you think that one up by yourself? I mean, that's, that's a quite a morbid imagination. James has already hinted at the root of all this. In fact, in James 2, if you recall, he said one of the root problems is we've de-linked faith and works, and we think we can have a private piety that doesn't actually show up in changed lives. In James 3, when he talked about our words, at the very end of it, if you may recall, he said, look, can figs come from an olive tree? Can fresh water and salt water come from the same stream? In other words, if you don't like the result, you need to look at the source. If you don't like the fruit, you've got to examine the root. You've got to go deeper than what we've been looking at so far. And so now we look at James 4 verse 1. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? 
that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You're like, James, whoa, James. I mean, I don't know what people were in the church of Jerusalem in the first century, but James is like, you don't get stuff and you kill people. Uh, he's definitely using hyperbole, but he's trying to say even the worst thing, murder, even this thing that rips apart the fabric of society, actually, it comes from the same root, this covetousness. And he says it, you covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel and you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James is talking about the source of our strife. The place where all of this comes from. I want you to hear this passage again, but now in the message paraphrase. Hear it a little bit in a language that maybe it's a bit closer to our conversational English. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? And why not, he says, because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Your spoiled children, each of you wanting your own way. By now we've learned that James is not messing around. He didn't write a letter to be cute. He didn't write a letter because he had a weekend away and he thought, what should I do? Maybe I should be productive and create a legacy piece and write a letter. James has an urgent need to address the church. And right away, the word of God is speaking to us. God diagnoses our destructive behavior by revealing our disordered desires. God diagnoses our destructive behavior by revealing our disordered desires. Notice what James is doing here. He says, look, you, 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 you covet, you want in an evil way. And then he says, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you think about asking God for it? And he goes, I'll tell you why. Because you know you'd be asking for something that you have no right to. Have your parents in the room, you know, don't look at your kids, kids don't look at your parents. But you ever had that situation where your kid was sneaking and doing something, maybe they're watching an extra bit of TV that they shouldn't have watched or getting a little snack that they shouldn't have had or dipping into the ice cream or whatever. And you're like, well, why didn't you ask me if you could have some? And they're like, because... Like, why? Because I knew you'd say no. Every kid knows it doesn't take, uh, you, you don't need to have a college degree. You just know it as a five-year-old. You're like, I'm not going to ask my parents for that because I know what they're going to say. And James is like, you're no better than that. There are things that are warped in your life. There are desires that are off. The German Reformation theologian Martin Luther referred to this as the incurvatus inse. It's Latin, and it's the Latin phrase for curving in on itself. You ever tried to use a tool that is bent? You're like, it's just not working right. Or maybe you've been in the garden with the garden hose and you didn't realize there's something wrong in the connection. As soon as you turn it on to spray out there, it comes spraying back at you. And you're like, oh, something curved in on itself is going to malfunction. James shows us that God's diagnosis is not just our behavior or our words. Remember, God's not interested in just making us nicer, more polite people. 
He's saying that it's actually, the problem's actually worse than you thought. Your own desires are bent and disfigured. I have a collection of sermons by the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and I've, it's called Strength to Love. It's a wonderful co- collection of his sermons and I picked it up again and began re- reading where I'd left off and I read a sermon this week of his where he talks about the great perplexing question. The answer to a perplexing question is the title of this sermon. And the perplexing question is how do we get rid of evil in our own hearts and in society? And Dr. King says there's two equal and opposite errors that we make. One is to be too pessimistic about human nature and to say human beings, we can't do anything, we just need God to do it for us, we can't can't even try. But the other is to be too optimistic about human nature. Listen to this quote from Dr. King. He says, selfishness and hatred have not vanished with an enlargement of our educational system and an extension of our legislative policies. Man by his own power can never cast evil from the world. The humanist hope is an illusion based on, here it is, based on too great of an optimism concerning the inherent goodness of human nature. And he goes on to talk about how there is this plague sweeping where we think if we could just fix this, we just fix that. But to be, to be sure, some of you are like, I know, that's what I've been saying. We don't have any systems that have flaws in it. No, 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 listen, hear it carefully. In fact, Dr. King goes on to say, I'd rather a committed humanist who was trying than an uncommitted Christian. <laughs> he, and he says, look, look, you, you don't want to make the opposite error of, of, of believing that we're so pessimistic that we can't do anything that we end up being passive. But here in this moment, he's addressing that there is a root to the problems that we see that only God has the power to deal with. Selfishness and hatred cannot be banished by education. In the 400s, there was a bishop in North Africa named Augustine. He would later on be called Saint Augustine of Hippo. And Augustine wrote lots and lots of theological pieces. In fact, he, he is probably, in many ways, the father of Christian theology. And listen to how Augustine talks about sin and our desires. He says, but living a just and holy life requires one to love things in the right order. Isn't this interesting? And he explains this. So that you do not love what is not to be loved. In other words, don't love bad things. Don't go chasing stuff that isn't good. Don't love what is not to be loved or fail to love what is to be loved. When there are good things, make sure you are loving it. And then he says, or have a greater love for what should be loved less or an equal love for things that should be, uh, that should be loved less or more or a lesser or greater love for things that should be loved equally. You're like, I'm so confused. Okay, this is what Augustine is saying. We tend to think that sin is don't do the bad things. And maybe if we're a little more, you know, we say, oh, well, actually, don't even want the bad things. Augustine says, good. But it's actually deeper than that. You might want good things too much. You might want, you might love something that actually is good, but you might love it too much. Or there might be something that you should love more, but you're actually not loving it enough. Okay, think about this for a moment. Think about 
dating. <laughs> if any of you in the room are watching online, you're, you're, you're in a dating relationship or you're pursuing someone or, or in the process of hoping that something will develop, we've all been there probably where you could care so much about making this relationship happen that you actually end up ruining it. That you over-prioritize a particular relationship and you're like, you want this to happen so badly that you end up making a fool of yourself. I mean, basically this is the plot line to every romantic comedy ever. Like if you've watched a romantic comedy, you're like, yeah, that's the plot line is this person kind of likes this person, this person doesn't know or is clueless, this person ends up making a fool of themselves and a mess of everything. That during quarantine, we rewatched a, I think it's a 90s classic, While You Were Sleeping. Anybody? Yeah. But really, pick a romantic comedy. This is basically the plot line. You, you love something too much or too little, and it ends up making everything into a mess. So what about a job? What if you become so fixated on a career, and you think, I've got to have that, or I've got to increase my bottom line, or I've got to make sure that I make this happen in such a way, and you reorient your life to work toward that so much that you ignore something else. This is any of those movies where... Uh, the, the individual is so consumed with their career that they miss out on their family, right? Pick any number of movies. Also, a, 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 a frequent plot line where a person's like so obsessed about the sale. I mean, this is basically the storyline in Elf where the dad misses his own son being there because he's like, we got to get this kid's book published by Christmas, all this stuff. And he's like, you, you've got this um, son of yours who thinks he's an elf. Like that really deserves more attention than you're giving it right now. <laughs> Which doesn't, in fact, turn out to become a remarkable kid story. So this is what it looks like. This is what Augustine is talking about when he says you can love lesser things too much and you can love things that you should love more too little. It all goes off. Maybe a way to imagine this, what this is like, is like driving a car that's out of alignment where the wheels are just a little bit off you just keep going, you think you're going straight, but you're like, why do I keep having to correct like this? If we live a life with our desires out of order, out of alignment, we'll find ourselves constantly veering into trouble. This is why people say, well, I don't know, I didn't make any bad choices. I didn't actually set out to end up here, but I don't know how I ended up here. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like, I don't know, what were the big mistakes I made? Sometimes we end up in messes not because we made specifically bad choices, but because the alignment of our desires were, was off. And all it took was just drift plus time equals deviation. All of a sudden, we find ourselves in the wrong spot. But James goes on in verse 4. He says, you unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Or do you suppose that the scripture is meaningless? Doesn't God long for our faithfulness in the life he has given to us? But he gives more grace. Somebody say, thank God. Thank God. I mean, here James is coming down hard on us. He's like, look, are you so foolish? I mean, don't you even know the scriptures? And then after saying all of this, he's just, you can imagine James like, But God gives us more grace. 
And that is why it says God stands against the proud but favors the humble. The second thing I want to say to you from this text is that God's desire for us is stronger than our desire for him. God's desire for us is stronger than our desire for him. Maybe you're, you're listening to this first part of the text and you're like, well, that is me. How do I know? What if my desires are off? What if my life is out of alignment? Am I doomed for a train wreck? What, what's going to happen? Listen, friends, wherever you find yourself tonight, God's desire for you is actually stronger than your desire for him. Isn't it interesting that James uses this phrase, friendship with the world is enmity with God. I think what we're meant to hear is God, God wants you to have friendship with him. God longs for you to have friendship with him and not to go chase this other thing that won't actually satisfy. Verse seven, therefore, how do we respond? Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cry out in sorrow, mourn and weep. Let your laughter become mourning and your joy become sadness. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. If you think about these few verses, James starts by saying, submit to God and he ends by saying, humble yourself the bookends of this last paragraph of this section of the text is James saying, just turn toward God. Just turn toward him. God's not asking you to get all your desires all cleaned up and all set right and then say, look, God, here I am. I'm ready now. I'm all clean and Christian-y. He's like, no, just turn. Just turn to him. And when you turn toward God, there will be a turning against. Turning toward God means turning against the devil. He says, resist the devil. And turning toward God not only means turning against the devil, but it also means turning away from some old environments, some old habits, maybe even some old relationships. Here we are in this season where God is calling us, I think, to take inventory of our hearts and our lives, to take inventory of our desires and our thoughts. And maybe there is a great shaking and maybe what God wants us to do is, I wanna shake off the things that you've allowed to take on you that really don't have anything to do with me or my kingdom, but they have to do with kind of just the way you were raised or maybe just the way your political party talks or maybe just the way that your favorite news outlets talks or maybe this is, and God's like, just wash your hands of all of that. Turn away from all of that and come to me. Come to me. What if in the midst of all of this, God's not looking for us to have just, just better civil discourse, but actually to have clean hearts, to have rearranged desires, reordered loves. Maybe this whole moment is a moment where we can wake up and say, God, I've been living in my own bubble. I've been clueless to the pain of someone else. I've been oblivious to someone else's suffering. Oh God, shake me, reorder me. Things that I should have loved more, I've loved less. Things that I should have loved less, I've loved more, like my own comfort, like my own freedom. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that was a bit close to home. Shouldn't say that. What if, what if God wants to reorder our order 
of desires and loves. The things that we value and we think it goes in this order, but it sounds like a campaign slogan. It doesn't sound like the kingdom. God's saying, that's, that's not the ordering of things. What if there's another way to order this? The good news in the word of God tonight is that God's grace can actually reorder our desires, redirect our affections, and restore our lives. God's grace is like a divine magnet that makes everything snap back into place because we found the north. We reoriented. Yes, yes, this is the way it's supposed to be, the pull of God's grace. Dr. King goes on in that sermon, and toward the end of it, he says, one cannot remove an evil habit by mere resolution. It made me think about New Year's resolutions. Remember that? That's cute. (laughs) That was like a lifetime ago. One cannot remove an evil habit by mere resolution, nor by simply calling on God to do the job. You see what Dr. King is saying? He's saying, it's not, white knuckle, pull yourself up, I can do it, nor is it just, I don't know, man, I'll just, I'm just waiting for God to change me. Just waiting for God to like help me kick the habit. Just waiting for God to make me, you know, whatever. It's like, no, 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 it's, it's neither. But only as he surrenders himself and becomes an instrument of God. Why is James so passionate about our desires being realigned and reordered? Because he said, look, you see destructive behavior, you see strife, you see quarrels. He's like, you know what the opposite of that is? Is when you get rightly ordered, you can bring peace into the world. You can be instruments of peace into the world. This is what Pastor Jason was preaching about last week. The wisdom of the world to come produces peace. It produces something different. We ought not to be the people that get on Facebook every day and just gripe about the world and I can't believe this and I can't believe and and post snarky things and share snarky things and say, well, I'm just saying or I'm just curious why and blah, 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 blah. And then we say, well, you're just adding to the strife and the quarrels. But if you want to be a different kind of presence, you're going to have to be a different kind of person. And that's what James is saying. If the church is going to be a different presence in the world, then we've got to become a different kind of people whose hands have been washed clean, who are resisting the devil, who've turned away from sin, whose hearts have been realigned and reawakened to God and his grace. That's what's at stake. Not optional Christian discipleship. Maybe part of our problem in the American evangelical church is we sort of think that this is like extra credit stuff. Like James, you know, again, Martin Luther, the reformer, called it the epistle of straw, which was a euphemism for toilet paper. Some people have thought for 500 years that a book like the book of James is like optional extra credit. All we need is Romans. Just give me that thing about, you know, justification by faith. And then if I get interested in good works, maybe I'll sign up for that class. And James is like, I'm tired of it. You unfaithful people. Draw near to God. Dr. King goes on, he says, only as he surrenders himself and becomes an instrument of God, we shall be delivered from the accumulated weight of evil only when we permit the energy of God to come into our souls. What a phrase. Only when we permit the energy of God. Let's go back to Augustine. A great saint was not always a great saint. 
Some of you maybe have read his confessions. As a piece of literature, it's one of the first autobiographies told in the form of prayer. It's fascinating. As Augustine is recounting his life, he talks about the lustfulness of his youth. Even as a young man praying, Lord, make me chaste, meaning that's the old English word for make me not such a lustful man. And then he says, make me chaste, but not yet. (laughs) I mean, this is honest stuff. And Augustine is talking about how God began to call him and wake him up. And he says, on your exceedingly great mercy rests all of my hope. This is in book 10 of Augustine's Confessions. They're, They're little mini sections. It's toward the end of it where he talks about God breaking in digging out his ears, breaking through his deafness, shattering his blindness. And then he says, on your exceedingly great mercy rests all my hope. Can we just say amen to that? What hope do we have on God's exceedingly great mercy? Give me, no, give what you command. And then he says, and command whatever you will. This is Augustine's way of saying, whatever it is you want me to be, give me that. Give what you command, and then command whatever you will. O love ever burning, never extinguished. O charity, my God, set me on fire. Give what you command, and then command whatever you will. This is his way of saying, the thing that you require of me, give it to me. You want me to be humble? Give me humility. You want me to be just? Give me a just heart. You want me to be compassionate? Give me compassion. I can't do it but your grace can. As the worship team comes tonight, I want to remind you that God is still in the business of transforming lives. God is still in the ministry of reordering, redirecting, restoring lives. A few days ago, I was in one of those pastoral appointments where I was walking with the congregant through kind of a milestone moment in their personal life. And, and toward the end of it, we kind of finished the stuff that we were going to work through. And I just stopped and I said, man, just let's, can we just like, look at what's happening right now. Could you believe this? And he just shook his head. He's like, I, I just can't believe what the Lord has done in my life. And we, could, we were trying to think, was it two years ago? Was it three years ago? It wasn't that long ago. He stumbled into Palmer High School on a Sunday morning. He said, hey, we're looking for a pastor to help with this relationship I'm in. We connected him, started doing premarital, and the relationship just exploded. I mean, it just com- com- completely combusted. He began to spiral a little bit, but hung on to something that had happened. He had started coming to Alpha couple years ago and that alpha got reintroduced to Jesus and even as the relationship blew apart and his life was spiraling he's like there's something still true about this Jesus and he reached out and we began to meet regularly and he was meeting with some of you and in a small group with some of you and meeting with some of our other pastors then he got baptized I've been baptized before but I think I want to do this again as a reaffirmation of this moment of Jesus' rescue my life and he got baptized and he thought that everything would be different (laughs) and I remember he called me like a few days later he goes I thought it was all going to change 
He's like, Glenn, how come it's not different? And I was like, well, baptism's not magic. <laughs> and I was like, but, but, it is the miracle of saying yes to God. It is the miracle of inviting his work to come into us, that energy infusing into us. Little by little, new habit by new habit, new friendships by new friendships, new relationships by new relationships, things began to change. And so we sat on this Zoom call this week, and I just looked at her and I said, what in the world? How did this happen? And I asked his permission. I said, can I share just you know, bits of this? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, this is, this is the power of Jesus to change lives. Friends, the gospel is that God's grace can reorder our desires redirect our affections, restore our lives. God alone can give us the very things he commands from us. God alone can do that. So would you stand with me? Pastor Jason's going to lead us to the table, but before he comes to do that, I want to lead you in a prayer that actually is meant to be prayed during Lent. It's the season of preparation for Easter. But this prayer for the fifth Sunday of Lent is based off of Augustine's prayer in the Confessions. And it's got to be one of my favorite prayers in the entire Book of Common Prayer because of what it says. And we're going to put it up on the screen. And I invite you to pray this with me this evening, would you? Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. So grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. It's our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit one God, now and forever. Amen.